Hello, and welcome to episode number 46 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. This is Cricket Lou, along with my partner in crime. Matt Larson. Hi, everybody. And uh, I, I have some news. News. Do we, do we have a news section? Maybe this is our new news <laughs> section. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Well, I have changed jobs since our last our last recording. And as usual, we're not going to talk about when the last recording was. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm no longer at Dine. I am really excited to be vice president of research at ICANN. That sounds fantastic. What uh, exactly, uh, actually, uh, Kristen asked me this, what, what exactly does the vice president of research at ICANN do? Well, the vice president of research has a crack team of researchers reporting to him. Uh, and uh, I report to David Conrad, the CTO. Mm-hmm. I know Dave. And, and the idea is to do research into various aspects of the internet systems of unique identifiers, which is what ICANN is responsible for coordinating. So namely domain names, IP addresses, and internet uh, uh, protocol parameters. Excellent. Well, before we get too far into it, we should probably mention that we have a member of your crack team on with us. Yes, we do. And uh, we, we sort of have slipped into a format here where we where we have guests, which I think is, which I really like. I think basically adding a third person makes it more than 50% more interesting than, than with us. And, and uh, maybe more than 4, 50% more likely that we'll actually record. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that too. So I'm. Uh, we're really excited to have Roy Ahrens with us. Uh, Roy works for ICANN now, but has worked for uh, various other DNS companies in the past. And Roy, welcome. And why don't I just let you introduce yourself? Thank you, Matt. Um, thank you, Cricket. Um, yes, um, Roy Ahrens here from ICANN. Um, I, uh, I happen to work for Matt um, these days. Uh, I used to work at Nominet for, uh, for over 10 years. And um, and before that, um, working in Holland for Telematics Institute, but also for Nominum and um, NLNet Labs and the Dutch um, uh, Research Network. And I think, Roy, you are the only person to have worked at both Nominum and Nominet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's correct. And it, it, it's, it's an interesting name. Um, I am. Um, I, I still make sometimes the mistake of uh, of saying nominum where I should have said nominet or nominet where I should have said nominum, and uh, especially in the early days when I worked at nominet, um, that came up often and um, and um, sometimes quite embarrassingly with the even with the CEO in place at the time. So yeah. Well, there's no hope for us then of ever getting it right if you're still making mistakes after <laughs> this long. Yeah, so so Roy and I have um, had the good fortune to work together on on several things on um, the the DNSSEC standards, um, uh, NSEC three, uh, the Unbound, uh, the early days of the uh, Unbound name server, and and then you've done you've done a lot of interesting work at at Nominet. Um, the most interesting thing recently was. Uh, was Turing, which is just really slick. I mean, I think I think you should say something about Turing for people who haven't seen it. Okay. Um, well, thank you for mentioning it. Um, so Turing is a um, is a um, is a product of um, of, um, of 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 Nominet, but it started out as a research project. And um, so in 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 two thousand eight two thousand and nine, I started talking to the uh, operations team at uh, at Nominet, 
if I could get some data, some statistics. And uh, and what they had at the time was um, domain statistics collector. This was a, um, a a tool from Dwayne Wessels that he wrote a couple of years before that. And uh, which is basically the um, the um, the industry standard, if you will. Um, a lot of organizations are using DSC, and it uh, and it does what it says on the tin. It collects statistics, but if you want to do a little bit more, um, like um, um, analytics, so instead of just counting things, you want to um, count. You basically want to count the number of, let's say, annex domains um, for a domain that ends in um, UK um, that had the RD bit set. Um, there wasn't anything on the market. And um, and um, at that time, I just took over a team of researchers from Stephen Morris, who went on to um, to work for ISC. And um, and and I thought, what a great chance to get the team to work together closely. Before that, we were all basically individuals doing our own thing. Um, and um, and so we thought of this 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 idea of collecting all of this traffic um, from from different name servers, um, first PCAP. And then, um, and then see what we could do with it. At the meantime, um, it, it, we also we also thought that what really was necessary is a interface that you could interact with, instead of just um, just seeing nice graphs. You basically want to interact with the graphs. So um, over the period of of, uh, of two three years, we refined the tool, and in 2012, we had our first release of what was then called Bumblebee. And um, at that time, we didn't actually thought. For it to be used as an as a as a third party product, we basically wanted to check the the traffic at Nominet to see if there's any any anomalies that um, that um, yeah that were doing bad stuff. And and the first big thing we found, which was kind of the proof of the pudding, if that if that makes any sense, was a a packet of death. And um, this was the infamous bind packet of death in uh, of 2011, where a single packet could just crash all versions of mind <laughs> and we found that using bumblebee um, the, the name bumblebee basically is a um, was an idea of uh, of simon mckella simon is the cto of nominet um, and um, the, um, the the name stems from a research project he had done in the past um, where he could basically pinpoint the locations of a but of a bumblebee by the frequency of the clapping of the wings and um, and and so he came up with the name uh, Bumblebee, and then um, later on we um, um, we changed that into uh, into Turing, because all of these concepts that, that were around Bumblebee, we had a we had a hive, we had the flappy wings and stuff. Turns out that bumblebees do not have a hive, and they are solitary insects. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we are not biologists. Anyway, so that's the story about Turing. Yeah, yeah, and I. Oh, go ahead, Cricket. Oh, I was just going to say, I've, I've seen um, Turing a, a couple of times. I've seen demos of it a couple of times. Once actually quite recently, and it's very impressive in technology. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It, it is really, really slick, and the UI especially is mm -hmm. not only uh, really interesting, but fast, just stunningly fast, how, how, how quickly it can uh, seemingly process huge amounts of data and give you an overview of what you're looking for. Yeah, 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 and and well, a lot of these technologies um, are are actually pretty straightforward. But um, when you combine these, these um, these are very very clever, um, and and most of these things have been thought of by by Ray Bellis. Ray now works at ISC. Um, he does. He, um, so there are two patents basically related to this. Um, you can find them on the, on on the internet if you like. Um, 
um, Alex Dallitz um, um, also did, 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 did um, a lot of work on it, together with Sean Lloyd and Alessandro Linari. Uh, I just want to point out that this was a team effort. Um, I, 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 I probably stopped this thing from happening much earlier. <laughs> that was my input on this. But yeah, the, um, I did do some tinkering in the, in the, in the UI of, of, um, of it all. But every time I, I tinkered something with the code, Ray Bellis took a deep sigh and uh, went away <laughs> for a weekend and did, 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 did lots of uh, improvements on, 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 on all of it. So now, nowadays, I have to say, uh, Turing is a um, is a is, is basically um, in the hands of Nominat. Um, um, they they have a proper software development team um, on it. The research team are doing uh, bigger and better things now. They also do some stuff still with Turing, and naturally they improve it. They find new machine learning techniques they apply to it. But the research team of Nominat is also responsible for things like Internet of Things, um, and health indicators, and, and yeah. Very interesting things. If you're interested in that, research at Nominet is, uh, is where you need to look at. Cool. Well, thanks. I just uh, I wanted to make sure you got a chance to talk about that, Roy, because I've just seen how neat it is and uh, you know, know that you had a part in it and uh, wanted to make sure that people heard about it and that if they're interested, they should go see it. I'm, we have a license at Nominet. Uh, not at Nominet. At, well, there we go. I'm, I'm confusing Nominet and Nominum, and I'm not even talking about either one. No, we, have, we have a license at ICANN, and uh, we're, we're applying that to uh, uh, root server traffic for the first time, which is which is really interesting. Yeah, it, it's, um, um, and, and, and again, we um, when we did the evaluation with, um, with, with, uh, with Turing, um, we start looking at ns.icann.org, which happens to be a name server that runs a few top-level domains. Um, one of them being INT, one of them being Uganda. And uh, we found some interesting things um, that I've already talked about in f several presentations. But, um, but yeah, it's a cool tool. Thank you for allowing me to talk about this. Of course. Sure. We should probably uh, also mention for those who are not way, way inside the DNS community that... Um, well, they could probably tell if they've if they've got a, a, a decent uh, their decent hands at linguistics. They can probably tell that you're Dutch. But if you work for Nominet, Nominet is is obviously uh, an organization that's based in the UK. So um, we should probably say, in, to your great credit, Roy, that you're uh, recording today from Oxford, right? That's correct. Yeah. Although maybe that's not to your great credit, Matt. Are you making him record? No, no I, <laughs> I stress that this was entirely optional. All right, but, but Roy's being a really good sport to accommodate the nine-hour time difference between uh, between all of us. Yes, and, uh, it's it's after midnight where he is. Yeah, well after midnight. So thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. It's probably also the only time that I could find that when you guys are awake and my kids are asleep. <laughs> well, shall we go ahead and jump right into the mailbag? Why not? All right. Well, I don't I've, know that I would call eleven and a half minutes in jumping right in. <laughs> <laughs> well, from from now, from now. So, okay. All right. I'm rustling around in the mailbag. Let's see here. Uh, it looks like we have uh, a question here from Jacob Evans, uh, whose title is Cloud Consultant. I suppose he can tell us what the difference between a cumulonimbus and uh, an altostratus is, right? I'm sure it's that kind of cloud. Yes. Uh, and he says he, ha he has two unrelated questions for us. Unrelated to what, I wonder. Um, what is the impact of having mismatched SRV serial numbers? I have a client that uses an API to update 
uh, its DNS, I guess, name servers at two providers, and the serial numbers either never change or don't match. Uh, and so he said SRV serial numbers. Uh, SRV records, of course, don't have serial numbers. So what do you guys think he means? Well, I... I, well, I go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, I think he means SOA, probably, not SRV. Yeah, I, I think so, since he's talking about serial numbers. Um, Obviously, only an SOA record has a serial number. Yeah, so I, I, I think I have an answer to that. I'm not sure if I'm correct. Um, and it is related to the second sentence where he basically says, says, I have a client that uses an API to update DNS at two providers. So I think um, um, since um, so are serial numbers are only really used in... Um, 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 in, the, in, in notifies, right? In, um, no, sorry, not in notifies. In, in zone transfer protocol, where notify ind- indicates that a zone has changed, and the secondary uh, checks if indeed the um, the, uh, the the SOA on the original server on the on the primary server is higher than it than, than the one it currently has. So if if a if a if an organization has implemented a different way than zone transfer to uh, to update both both the secondary and the, and the primary, then there is actually not a real need for these serial numbers to be equal. Right, right. And he already sees it looks like the need to use his API to update two different providers. So presumably he's sending. Uh, a dynamic update in one direction to one provider and a dynamic update in another direction to the other provider. Um, if that's the case, there doesn't have to be any synchronization between the two providers. Uh, uh, presumably, he's, he's taking care of that manually, right? Yeah, that looks like it. Yeah. All right. Have we sufficiently uh, uh, addressed that one? What do you guys think? I think so. Well, un- 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 unless he really means SRV records, in that case, he, <laughs> in that case, he probably then, means priority numbers. But um, but then the rest doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to go. Yeah, with then Matt. I have no idea. <laughs> no. Yeah, <laughs> then we have no answer for him. Yeah. All right. Well, he his uh, his second question uh, is: Do IPv6 DNS servers, root or otherwise, have or support any cast? Um. I, th- I I think I can answer that. Um, 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 Anycast is really um, um, protocol agnostic, right? It's it's a routing trick, if you will. So um, 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 I do know for a fact that um, well, I have seen IPv6 servers with Anycast um, that are Anycasted. So I don't think it's um, it's um, sorry. I do think it is it, it is supported, if you will. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I think I think it does. I think if you look at the root name servers, for example, um, you'd you'd find that um, the root name servers tend to have uh, both uh, A and quad A records, which means they have both uh, IPv4 and IPv6 uh, addresses. And I believe that quite a number of the roots um, have have IPv6 anycast. Uh, that that is the IPv6 uh, addresses they have are, are anycast nearly as widely as the IPv4 addresses. Uh, Matt, do you agree? I do. I was just looking at the uh, root-servers.org page, which is the um, the page that the root server operators maintain uh, cooperatively to document things at a, uh, a high level. And it looks to me sort of looking like, like let's see. Yeah, there are, there are very clearly um, multiple servers 
multiple v6 servers for different operators that I'm looking at. So, so very clearly, they're inicasting their, their v6 addresses as well as their v4 addresses. Right. I suppose it might be worth explaining that anycast is, as, as Roy said, it's it's a, a routing trick, and it's also not something that's really built into any name server. Um, it's something that you do through configuration, um, and you can do it with uh, basically externally to, to most name server implementations by using, um, you could use, for example, open source routing demons like Quagga and Zebra and things like that, and plugging them in. You can plug those into your routing infrastructure to support any cast. Right, you're configuring any cast with your router, not your name server. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I didn't want anybody to think that any cast was like a feature of a name server that you should go and look for, although it is a feature of Infoblox products. Uh, but it's not <laughs> it, <laughs> It's not really a feature of, for example, Bind or NSD or a, another name server. All right. I think we've answered that one. Fantastic. Rolling right along. Well... We have um, another email from long-suffering listener uh, Evagelos Belaskas, and he has asked us more than one question over the years, so thank you very much for continuing to send us questions. Um, This should just go to show that if you have a DNS question, there's a very high probability, I would say approaching... uh, 100% 100% that if you send it to us, we're going to answer it. <laughs> so, so if you want to hear your question uh, on the podcast, all you need to do is, is send it in, and, and we are almost certainly going to answer it, given the volume of mail. Uh, but anyway, so he, he has two questions. Um, his first one is uh, uh, DNS response policy zones. He basically says, uh, what is it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I've, I've worked a lot with response policy zones over the last several years, so I can take a cut at it, and maybe you guys can refine or correct it. Um, So response policy zones were, uh, I would say, the brainchild of Paul Vixie while he was at ISC, the Internet Systems Consortium. And uh, before response policy zones, name servers pretty much answered uh, just about every question that they got, (laughs) more or less. Even if you were sending a recursive name server, a question that it pretty obviously shouldn't answer. For example, if you sent it a question like, what is the A record for command and control server.malware.org, the DNS server would go off and it would dutifully resolve that to an A record and return the response. Even though if you thought about it, you probably wouldn't want to return the address record of a command and control server, assuming that it was some piece of malware that was actually doing the request. Um, so response policy zones were were an attempt to take back the DNS. As a matter of fact, that was, I believe, the the title of a blog posting that uh, that Paul put out some time ago. And and basically, they're uh, DNS zones, somewhat like you're accustomed to, in that they're moved around via zone transfers, and you can use notify messages to tell people when they've changed. But uh, the contents of the DNS zones are a little bit funny. Um, they're regular resource records, but they're kind of strange looking. You'd see, for example, C names to dot and C names to star dot. Uh, and that's because the records are being used to encode rules, and the rules say things like if somebody looks up the uh, A record or the quad A record for this domain name, don't 
give them the real answer. Instead, substitute this other answer, or instead, hand them back this error, like NX domain, which means there is no such domain name, or no data, which means there is no data of that type uh, associated with that domain name. Uh, and the way that these response policy zones are typically used is that there are organizations on the internet that uh, specialize in reputation, uh, domain name reputation, IP address reputation. So they do research into malware and its behavior, for example, or they look at a lot of spam and they look at the domain names that are being used within the spam emails. And they collect all of these things and then they can jam them into a big response policy zone and send them out to people, basically their subscribers. And their subscribers can say things like, if somebody sends a query for... Um, one of these domain names that I know is malicious and a type of data that I know I shouldn't be returning for that domain name, don't answer it. Um, follow the rules in the response policy zone and uh, uh, you know, do what it says. So you can um, effectively uh, neuter some kinds of, of malware and you can effectively address some kinds of uh, 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 malicious email threats uh, by doing this because Folks even who get these malicious email messages or are infected with this kind of malware, um, the, the, the malware or the email won't be able to do its dirty work. It won't be able to resolve these names to addresses and, uh, and proceed. Right. And just in terms of how these actually work, like let's say you had a response policy zone name, let's just say um, rpz.net. Mm -hmm. And so in that zone, you might have domain names of the form, you know, uh, malware command and control server dot com dot rpc dot net right and then that would have um, interesting looking uh, records I mean it would have records that we're used to seeing but semantically saying things we're not used to because they mean something in the response policy zone like like what is a C name that you, the example you gave I don't recall C name to dot what what does that mean in RPC semantics C name to dot means NX domain and then C name to star dot if I remember correct correctly is no data it means return no data right. yeah and then so if the you server oh i was just going to say if, and then if you have something <laughs> explicit like an a record uh the the example you gave you know malware command and control server uh dot com dot rpz dot net uh address a record and then an address that means return that a record if somebody looks up an address for that domain name rather than doing the real resolution yeah, and I think the same goes for um, for if you have a C name to an actual um, host name, not That's being right. dot or star dot, it would basically be um, the alias, right? It would basically act as, an, as a standard C name record, replacing the original name with uh, with the name on the right hand side. That's right. That's right. Um, and some people, some people, for example, have C names like that, or or they have all of these malicious domain names mapped to a particular address because that address. Perhaps it's the same address, and it's the address of a web server that they use to deliver some content that says, hey, you've tried to go somewhere you shouldn't have gone. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, if you didn't explicitly go there, maybe you're infected in some way. See the IT security guys, blah, blah, blah. And, and you, know, you know what I think is the clever part here as well? Um, what Paul did is basically he recycles the, um, the, the zone file format. Um, for this specific purpose, which means that if you want to use the service, you can just be a secondary, right, to one of these um, RPZ providers, them acting as a primary. And um, and so you, you've, you've solved the whole distribution problem of this data as well, 
by just making it DNS, by just making it zones. Yeah, exactly. And and it means that you can you can propagate the data very quickly because you can use notify messages and you can propagate it very efficiently because you can use incremental zone transfer to move it around. So unlike other um, say proprietary update mechanisms for for various reputational data, this this is very fast and very efficient. We do this at uh, at Infoblox after we bought internet identity, we uh, found ourselves in the business of <laughs> of publishing response policy zones. All right, cool. And then uh, the second part of his question is completely different. Um, he has a question about uh, A records for Google.com. And he gave us some examples here, example dig output. But basically what he found was if he was doing um, a dig trace, so you can do uh, the plus trace option to dig and it simulates the iterative resolution. Well, it doesn't simulate, it does iterative resolution, but in its own sort of simplistic way, starts at the root and follows referrals down. And when he did that, um, he saw that uh, he was getting back, he says 16 uh, A records from, looks like uh, it was NS, which one is it? Doesn't matter. One of the, one of the Google authoritative servers. Um, and then when he sent a query directly to the Google public DNS server at 8.8.8.8, um, he gets only one A record back. And so his question is, why would dig plus trace, which is just sending a sequence of regular DNS queries, why would it generate a response with 16 records, A records from a Google.com authoritative server, whereas a response from the Google public DNS only shows one. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> yeah, it, so if, it is. Um, if if I if I um, and and I'm going to reveal something about the show here. Um, um, I'm, I'm I'm seeing actually this 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 question asked in an email as well. <laughs> so um, thank you for sending these questions on. Um, I I see when he when 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 he does a dig any plus trace. Um, the immediate next line is basically um, a send message failed operation not permitted. And so what I think is happening is um, that um, all of the Google.com records that he's uh, that he sees returning, right, comes basically from his own local resolver, not from eight 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 eight, even though he specified at eight 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 eight. And so. Um, the theory being is, if you ask um, your own local resolver whatever you have configured, you basically get a full answer back, right? For all, if, if, if it has multiple A records, you get multiple A records for comeback, for Google.com back. Um, if it is cached multiple for that, for that name, you would get all of that back. Whereas if you would ask um, 8.8.8.8 directly for Google.com, you will basically get one answer back, one, ad one address back. And I think Google might be doing this, that's only guessing, um, to make sure that this can be used as an amplifier. But as, like I said, that's just guessing. Mm -hmm. it doesn't, uh, doesn't Google public DNS support eDNS client subnet? I think so. I think that they were they and and OpenDNS were fairly early adopters of. Yeah, of, well, War Warren's one of the Warren Kumar is one of the co-authors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if uh, if they don't support it, well, then shame on them. Um, yeah. So so that would that would tend to give uh, uh, well at least explain why they 
give back uh, a single address record when you looked up Google.com. I guess my question is, why would uh, the cache, the local cache, or whichever one he was pointed at, why would it have contained multiple addresses for Google.com in the first place? Yeah, that you can't merge our sets like that. At yeah. least not, not according to the spec. I, I wonder if Google Public DNS might not be special casing Google.com. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they could they could know about all of the A records and still only return one because they know that that's all you need based on their understanding of their own infrastructure. I mean, that would that would make sense that if you're if you're both the recursive and the authoritative, and you've gone to the trouble to build your own recursive, you might as well optimize it for your own properties. Yeah. Also, I, I just I just checked something. If I, if I if I simply do a dig at eight 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 and I specify plus no DNS, sorry, no eDNS, um, that means that um, client subnet specification won't won't kick in from the client side, and that the server side also cannot follow through with this. Is that correct? So I would I would basically get simply one answer back. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever, whatever it has specified locally. So I, th- I think it's a special case. Yeah, because yeah, I'm 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 doing this right now just from from my command line. I do a dig plus trace for Google.com. I get one address. Uh, oh, I didn't do a dig uh, dig trace any though. If I do uh, just a straight dig of Google.com, I get one address. Uh, let's see. Dig any of Google.com gives me only one address record, but a whole lot of other records, including a lot of MX records and text records, and even a CAA record, which is very exciting. Um, yeah, that's the first CAA record I've ever seen in the wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! It's a red letter day. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, dig plus trace uh, of any for Google.com still gives me just that one one A record as well. So it's kind of it's kind of a mystery to me how he managed to get those. I, I think I think that uh, that Roy is sharp eyed there and, and noticing that that send failure, um, he's probably right that he got that response from his local name server. But what I'm wondering is <laughs> how did the local name server have those address records? Yeah, that's that's a good question. You can also see in the received from um, part at the end of each um, individual blob. Um, the first one only says 8888, but the ones after that, the com, google.com, right, they say um, received from 192. Oh, sorry, no, that's that's me being silly. <laughs> sorry. No, I'm, I'm wrong here. This is uh, that, that, that last part. I thought the from address would, uh, should have been 8888. Yeah. Well, it's interest, interesting that he, he overrode, he overrode plus trace. With the at, right? He said, dig any plus trace google.com at 8.8.8.8. And yeah, normally, normally you don't have to, you don't have to use the at if you're using plus trace because. Yeah. What's that? What's that even do? It, it, I, I, it looks like what it's done is it used, it used um, 8.8.8.8. So Google public DNS just f- to prime the list of root name servers, because that's what we see coming back from 8.8.8.8 is we see the list of the roots coming back. And the associated TTL, and then the next time he gets a response, it's for the list of com name servers, and it's coming from b.root-servers.net. Yeah. Um, 
But so he certainly didn't need to put the at 8.8.8.8 in there. He could have just used whatever his local recursive name server was to prime the list of roots. Um, Unless, like me, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why. Something to troubleshoot when we're done. I think it says something that three people who have, in aggregate, what, 70-plus uh, years of experience with DNS <laughs> are fumbling around with this. It says something about how arcane DNS is. Although there are also at least a dozen listeners who are, as you point out, uh, <laughs> Matt, yelling at their, at their computers, I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if we've been responsible for any uh, physical damage to property. <laughs> oh, I, I don't want to admit to it because I don't want anybody to to come back and and, and you know uh, make some claim against us. <laughs> I would still have a perfectly good iPhone if I had not been forced to throw it on the floor. Yes, it's it, it could be it could be Oliver. <laughs> I think I know who your next guest is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's that's very interesting because because at the very at the very end of the output that um, that he sent, he he certainly shows quite a number of of Google.com A records. Although interestingly, all of them start with sixty two dot seventy five dot twenty three. Right. So this could be an EDNS zero thing, EDNS zero client subnet thing, and maybe he gets a larger chunk of them where he is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe from Greece, where, where presumably he's running this, maybe he gets a very different response. Uh, we certainly don't see that here. It's a mystery. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, we've exhausted our list of questions. We have. We have. So we need to solicit our, our, our vast listenership for more. Yes, please. Uh, it's been so long I can't even remember the remember the email address. Yes. <laughs> Mr. DNS at ask dash uh, is where to send the questions. Didn't so, uh, didn't we get the hot tip that Mr. DNS or ask Mr. DNS with no dash was available? It not only is available, I have it. Oh. I just <laughs> have not in my copious spare time have not. Uh, you, you can't rush these things. <laughs> you told me you told me a story once that that ended with the punchline. There has been no time. <laughs> Do you recall that? Oh, of course, it's a saying. In, it's a saying in our family. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I am Swedish, as you might guess from the last name Larson, or at least half half Swedish. And so when I was a kid, we'd have these shirt tail crazy relatives from Sweden come come visit my grandparents. And I, I didn't observe this, but it was a story told that uh, these these relatives came from Sweden and they had a camera and they were taking pictures of everything. And so then it just happened that, you know, my grandparents went back to the old country like like years later, like a couple, three years later, and they saw these these relatives and they happened to ask, oh, you took so many pictures when you were visiting the United States. How, how did they turn out? And the response was, well, there has been no time to develop the film. <laughs> now, so you can always say there has been no time. Yes. Now, <laughs> is is shirt tail relativity? Is that is that uh, is that transitive? I mean, or I guess <laughs> if if you consider them your shirt tail relatives, are you in fact theirs as well? I suppose so. Maybe this is is that a is that an expression that only Matt uses or only Matt's family uses? I mean, I I mean that to mean. You know, dis distant relatives. No, no, no. I, I've I've certainly heard it before. 
um, I, I, I just wondered. <laughs> it seemed to me that's not transitivity, though, is it? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those other simple mathematical properties. Uh, refle reflect, oh dear, reflexive? There's like associativity and... It's not that. No, no, no. <laughs> more, <laughs> picture more listeners yelling at their radio. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Well, you think we've uh, put in an honest episode here? I think we have. I, I believe so. I believe so. And we've kept uh, Roy up quite late. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's quite also, right. thank you. Thank you to Roy Aarons, our guest. And thank you, as always, to all our listeners for making it this far and sending us questions. And for those of you who have not sent a question, please remember MrDNS at ask-mrdns.com. So until next time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone.